Welcome to Under 30, the podcast series by the Youth Partnership that brings research results, explores trends in young people's lives and themes relevant for youth policy and practice. Technology and digitalization have become an integral part of our lives, but particularly uh, of the lives of young people. What are the new challenges of digitalization for young people? What can youth work do to address these challenges? These are just a few questions we are discussing with Lasse Surala, Daisy Keat and Nika Baxoliani. Lasse, a former director of youth services at the city of Helsinki and a former director of youth and sports at the Council of Europe, has recently published an article on youth work and techlash, which we are also discussing in this podcast. Daisy is a project coordinator at Tactical Tech and works on upcoming youth and technology projects. And Nika is a member of the Advisory Council on Youth in the Youth Department of the Council of Europe. My name is Dariusz Grzemny and together with Lana Pasic, we are exploring the topic of young people, digitalization and techlash with our guest. So let's start. Let's start with uh, one could say an easy question. Was technology created to make our lives easier, to support our lives, or does it add an extra layer of complexity to our lives? That's a question that everyone's always trying to deal with. And I think with all technology, because technology is inherently political and technology often reflects the societies in which it's built and in which it's created and developed, it means that all of the complexities from the kind of quote-unquote real world come into the online environment and the digital environment. And these technologies are very complex and widespread. I think the actual concepts of technology often conflict with the actual reality of technology. And I'd say that the, the kind of clean answer to is technology more useful or does it create more problems is that it's both Obviously, in some scenarios, it is more useful, but we need to recognize and be able to deal with the complexities as well. Okay, thank you. Lasse, what do you think about it? Daisy put it very well. It's it's uh, three things. There is a lot of potential. There is a lot of complexities, but there is also a lot of problems, risks and negative things. And I, I think we had to kind of somehow manage all of those things. And there could be many answers to do that properly. On education or, or training, I, I'm actually a bureaucrat. I used to be a director for, for youth services in various contexts. So I look at this from an organizational point of view. And if I look at it from this point of view, I have an idea. And the idea is that uh, to master and manage all this potentiality, all this complexity, all these negative effects, I think we need to have a uh, clear plan. I call it digital youth work strategy. Take it just as an idea to focus on a certain time span on following three things. How to, first of all, support digital innovation. How to face the negative risk effects of digitalization. How to empower young people to be active digital citizens. And kind of put that as a kind of a, a map or a compass or a plan for you for a certain time, a, a 
of course, always to be changed and modified and all that. I think youth work, which is uh, normally very impulsive, it, it, it would benefit from kind of a planned uh, instrument like that. Thank you, Lasse. Digital youth work strategy. It sounds very interesting. I still would like to hear from Nika. Nika, the potential of digitalization, is it a problem, a challenge, or actually something good? Well, whether or not it's good or bad, definitely we are now living in a time of revolution, but a, a very big revolution. I think one of the biggest tension is that technical possibilities are very vast, and we saw that in, in multiple cases, but socially the possibilities are not vast. Technical revolution and technical development outpaces the social development. When I say that, I also mean that the social values like fairness and uh, openness, equality, equity, these are not mainstreamed in the technical development. There's a very big uh, problem like digi digital divide, which also exists in, uh, in between these two tensions. Okay, uh, thank you. I, I think you mentioned a lot of issues which are kind of a response to the second question I wanted to ask, which is more about the challenges that appeared for young people, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic. What did we learn about young people in this respect? That's interesting case because I know it from Finland because we, like many other countries, the school children were put at home and, and they had to learn through distance learning. And there was a lot of research on that. Also, youth work changed, but uh, it, we don't have so much uh, research to know what actually happened. But about the school efforts to change the distance learning, there we have a lot of research and, and there are some very interesting things that I think are relevant also for youth work. And now I'm talking about Finland. The overall conclusion was that it was a success people adapted to it and found it's working. But there were three other important conclusions which also came up, up clearly from the research. One is that students said that the quality of teaching weakened. Secondly, it was more stressing to learn through the technological means. Third, they uh, thought it was a situation of social isolation, which they suffered a lot. No possibility to meet peers and teachers and other people. And fourth, there was a significant 10% dropout. People who the teachers didn't reach. And, and this happened together with accumulation of learning difficulties to those already at risk. So these are four interesting things. And I think these conclusions show that there was, was some kind of over-reliance on technology and there were lots of kind of problems which arose, even if it was an overall success. And I, I think it's uh, important to understand that in this case, the technology needs uh, complementary action to function good. And by the way, one possibility is that as the weakness was the lack of social contacts and the creation of uh, social exclusion, why couldn't youth work be one important partner with the school in this case? Because its strength is to work with the kind of a social network of young people, putting young people together, creating togetherness, and also to work with the social segregation and social exclusion. And another thing that I think we learned 
there was that, at least in the Finnish case, it, it was clear that the society decided that during the next lockdowns, as this was the experience from the spring effect, during the next lockdowns, that means now, that the last thing to lock down is the activities to children and young people. And this is what happened. We are having today very severe new restrictions, but not uh, for young people and children. And I think in, in the youth work, clearly there was some bad economic repercussions on it. And a lot of services had had to be cut down or essentially reduced and so on. And, and it, it wasn't okay. But the result was also that the youth services focused now more on outreach in youth work, street work, and digital youth work. And as a result, a lot of youth workers and youth services developed new innovative services in the digital youth work. So it also had a positive effect in, in, in there, even if the overall effect was maybe not so good. But about youth work and these new services and all that, we still at the moment don't know how well the new digital services actually reached different kind of youth. Who dropped out? What was the quality of this digital youth work? There are lots of questions open even now. Thank you. Thank you, Lasse. Yes, there is some research coming up now from very different institutions describing the impact of lockdown and, and COVID pandemic on young people and also the use of media. And I think we can expect a little bit more coming. I, I liked your idea about connecting the teaching, the formal education and, and youth work. Lana, you wanted to add something. Yes, thank you. And thank you for bringing up the research uh, part here, because I think it's quite important for us to see and uh, also to document what are the different effects, what is the impact. And I think one of the ways we can see what is happening, not only in terms of the youth work and in terms of digitalization, but overall impact on the lives of young people of this. And uh, we have also done quite a lot of work on this within the partnership. And there is also a hub where we document this knowledge and and the different findings. But I also know that Daisy has uh, addressed quite a bit the challenges coming out of the digitalization. So a lot of the kind of work that we do at Tactical Tech is around privacy and surveillance and giving people kind of knowledge and control over their data. And one thing that I think we've seen from the coronavirus is this reliance, this need suddenly for digitalization and education. And suddenly the booming ed tech market filling that void. And that's often dominated by companies such as Google and Microsoft. The open source or alternative software isn't necessarily available or it's not promoted. So there becomes this huge reliance then on the bigger tech companies like Google and Microsoft. And since March, 2020, Google Classroom, the, their educational software, has doubled in active users. And that figure is from a couple of months ago, so it may have expanded more still. And alongside that, there are students who are going to take their end of year exams or also other exams are having to do them through proctoring software, which bring in all of these other surveillance and privacy concerns into a children, child's bedroom or a child's living room. And all of these things create problems as much as they fix them. And I think that's a really key point because a lot of these decisions are being made in a very rushed way. I think we are slowly moving into discussing TechLash, but I would like to still ask Nika if he has something to add. 
what did we learn about young people using digital media nowadays? Well, when this new online digital reality was emerged, I personally had this illusion that, wow, new technologies would so come in hand and make it everything easy, decrease like office uh, costs, transport costs. But actually, in the end, I saw that not everything is so happy DP on the internet. Uh, and I think one of the main reasons for that is actually digital divide. And I mean divide at all levels and all sectors between institutions, between non-profits and for-profits, between government and non-government, old and young, and of course, between nations as well. Uh, like the small, small nations, small languages actually have to suffer the most. Like first, many people don't have a, a proper access to a stable internet. It's not only, you know, just a tick in a box that we, I have an access, but there are also questions like well, what's the quality and how long, what's the duration I can use the internet and so on. Second, education and skills. Like your regular youth work practice on the digital space, it uh, may be quite difficult to implement. You first need to a creativity, like non-formal education on the computer screen, and then practical skills actually to do it. And th these skills, unfortunately, is not always existing. And then third, I, I also wanted to speak about access to the specific platforms. Uh, in many developing countries, some of the services are not available. You need to use VPN. In addition, some of the discounts for and special packages for nonprofit organizations they're simply not affordable and the price is the same similar in for on every platform for every every country and then income of course is and i think one of the one of the reasons why we actually speak about it is because we don't treat this kind of digital welfare as a, as a human right and the, the, this is something what i call when i speak about digital digital rights and um, actually having access uh, to these rights so I think what we can conclude so far based on our conversation is that it is not only our work, but it is also our lives that have moved online, resulting very much in over-reliance on technology. So what we are seeing now from all these developments is the move towards a tech clash. And I invite Lasse to, to help us understand what this concept means. Well, first of all, the word tech clash is a combination of two words. It's uh, putting together the first part of the word technology and the last part of the word backlash. That's a failure. So that's uh, techlash. And and uh, shortly, it, it describes growing discontent with the privacy violations, monopolies and strategies of the big tech companies, to be very short. I think there are two sides to the techlash now. One is this these abuses, which shortly refers to commercial exploitation of our data and the political uh, surveillance following the same thing. And the logic seems to be that the big tech companies, they track us everywhere we are, whatever we do, extract data from us, put that data into the huge uh, computers, analyze it through their artificial intelligence and algorithm methods, profile it, and sell it to third parties, which can be companies, governments, whatever, who, who use that data for, for their own purposes. And the problem is that it's not clear whether the users know what has really happened and what's happening to them. And people 
have become increasingly annoyed at this development. And, and another element of this tech clash is, I mean, the increasing risks and negative effects that we see in, in digitalization, which can refer to excessive gaming, causing gaming disorder, WHO identified a disease, or addiction to social media, or things like that. And then we have this uh, development of a different kind of extremist groups popping up around their what we call filter bubbles or eco chambers, where uh, like-minded people gather together, find confirmation on their idea, recruit new people, and also strengthen their internal motivation and, and identity through it. So these are the elements which which are linked to to techless. The funny contradictory uh, thing is that even if the techless is increasing among population, still the tech companies are doing uh, better and better all the time. Particularly during the COVID nineteen, they are the big winners. Economy went bad, but not the tech companies. Um, thank you. And I think in your paper also you explore quite a bit about what can you t you'd feel do to respond to over-reliance on technology and how to kind of take advantage of tech clash as well in order to raise some of the questions. What can not only youth policy, youth research and youth work practice, but uh, also young people and society uh, at large do regarding this uh, over-reliance and uh, kind of challenges that tech clash is raising? I think critical education around really understanding what that data is that's been given away that Lasse was explaining, the data that's kind of collected, stored, used, turned into other things. What is that? And I think often we think about the data that we give away as things that we can see. So I don't know, a comment that we write to somebody, but actually it's everything that's underneath that, the kind of shadow data or the kind of underbelly of data, things that are a lot more emotionally insightful into who we are as people. And that's the kind of real problem because that's a very valuable side of data. So it's not just our location, but it's what does that location say about you? Or it's not just the Facebook comment that you wrote, but it's how did you write that? Did you sound angry or did you sound happy? So it's it's all of this data put together and, and what that means for society, what that means for the division of knowledge and the division of learning. That needs to be understood by people who educate young people, but also by young people themselves. And I think actually starting with young people is probably a good place to go. As soon as you get this next generation to start talking about this and acting on it, other people will probably get behind it and care about it. Thank you, Daisy. And I think it would be a good time now to turn to, to young people and ask Nika also to, to contribute to this in terms of what, what can young people do, but also what can we as a society do? Okay, I actually totally agree with Daisy and Lasse. And I mentioned the outpace, right? So the technological development outpaces the social development in this regard. And I think one of the tasks for, for people who are in the social sector or who are in this public policy or people in youth working in the youth field would be to reduce this divide between technological development and social development. And I think one of the tasks, for example, for youth workers would be to continue human rights education and also cover internet and internet governance and data rights and digital rights. And then there's quite big lack of competences to, to run the activities which are covering that. 
You were talking about digital rights, the competences that are needed uh, and so on. I think that Lasse, you also mentioned in your paper that youth work has to be very sensitive about these issues. And in media literacy education is actually not only needed for young people, but also is needed for youth workers. So maybe we can end up a little bit with not looking for solutions because we are not here to give answers to every question, but maybe looking at on how media literacy education or development of competences and also how digital rights can actually help us in, in getting the message through. I think that that's a really great question and one that we've been thinking about for a long time. So at Tactical Tech, one of the, the resources that we kind of use a lot in public education, also of young people, but of, of everyday digital citizens is the Data Detox Kit. And this is a self-learning guide. So it's things from changing your privacy settings to deleting apps, to understanding how misinformation works, to digital well-being. So it really covers the whole spectrum. And this is just one resource that really gives people a bit of knowledge and some practical steps. And I think the one of the main things above and beyond the kind of revolutionary rethinking how education is done is finding ways to give people who do youth work practical, accessible tools that are free and that they can adapt and translate so that it's something that they can bring into their everyday work so that it, they're not necessarily having to learn lots of new things, that they're not having to create lots of new things. So, yeah, I think I think one so one thing is the kind of give, creating the resources, making them accessible to, to educators and people who do youth work, but also finding ways to bring young people into the conversation through youth work or through formal education. So, yeah, there's there's two kind of conflicting things there, I guess. One would be to kind of create the resources and just give them to people. But another way I think that's super important is to create spaces that are safe and open for young people to become part of the conversation. Lasse, uh, what do you think about that? If I look at the young people's movement Fridays for Future. It's an amazing thing that has happened in out of blue in just a few years that millions and millions of young people have become aware of a critical political issue of our planet and, and made spectacular kind of a noise of itself and actually affecting both politics and, and also companies through that uh, thing. Could there be a youth movement to bring up the awareness of young people of, of the data colonization and the datafication and surveillance capitalism and all that stuff. I think it's a possibility and I think youth work sh should be kind of aware of that and think what could be done. Because for example, the climate movement happened totally outside youth work and youth work was taken by surprise that these things happened. I think uh, youth work also could be, in this sense, more active and, and proactive and see what it could do to promote these kind of things. That's just nothing to think. But then if I look at this from the viewpoint of, of my other personality, which is a youth policy bureaucrat, then, of course, I have a three-level strategy. And the first uh, is that I think the first thing we should do is that youth Uh, policy and youth work should carefully read uh, European Union digital strategies. There are three new strategies. 
which and, and they should read also some of the recent critical lit, lit, literature on, on digitalization. And both the EU strategies and the critical literature have the same, roughly same objectives in digitalization. And I think it would be up to youth work to really think how they could align their thinking and working and strategies to these objectives and aims, which I think would result into uh, youth work digital strategy or something. Something I think the youth field needs to gather its thoughts on what, what they can do in terms of the recent developments in digitalization. Youth work and youth policy can do a lot of things. And then the third level would be, which I call critical digital literacy. Uh, which would mean that we would have to find a way how we could sensitize young people to be aware of, of how they are used in the digital world and so on, and how they could somehow become active citizens in changing the, the negative developments. So I think it could be strategies, but it could be also media or digital education, but Finally, I think it would be ways to look at how could we, in our daily youth work, find ways to sensitize young people to this different development, and, and how could they be somehow empowered to an alternative imaginary of the things that are happening around them? Because I think there are things that they don't see. Thank you, Lasse. I think that we have to target very different groups to have a kind of common understanding of where we are and what we are talking about. Mika? I think uh, the competence uh, for values-based education and human rights education is there. I think what struck me the most, for example, with Cambridge Analytica scandal, is how overlooked and tolerated it was by the society and how fast they forgot about it. So I think there's a, also a big need for this values-based uh, uh, education or education that can you know, change attitudes and behaviors. And this is the competence that uh, youth workers more or less have. So I think we also need to reinforce that and we need to kind of marry these two topics together. I think we need to recognize the red flags and then act upon it. And I think this is more something that we are losing more and more. And I think... All in all, education is not enough. Education is important and it's something that youth workers may uh, be able to do, but there are also some other conditions that have to be met. For example, internet governance possibilities. I think there's a desperate need for increase of civil space in the internet governance. There's a desperate need to link for human rights defenders and tech-savvy people who understand coding, who speak coding language. There's a desperate need to link those two together in order to speak the language that, for example, tech companies understand. And I think I would totally agree with something that Lasse said with the critical digital literacy. And I would also add education for cyber hygiene as well. Uh, one thing is to, to know how to use the internet and to know how it affects you and self, but it's also important to know how it affects society as well how it affects your country as a whole, democracy. Uh, so I think there's a critical role for educators and youth workers there. Thank you. Yes, Daisy. 
I just really wanted to to add something after Lasse's point about this idea of mobilization, and I totally agree. I think we should be thinking about it in those terms. And if we think about how movements like Fridays for Future and the youth environmental movement has started, we need to think about how that could translate into the digital environment. And if you think about the visual reminders of the climate crisis, so, you know, more extreme weather or maybe something's happening on your doorstep, it's like, are, what are those visual reminders in the technological world or the digital world? And how can we make them seem more real? How can we provoke young people? I think there is a huge problem here between digitalization becoming so normalized and so ubiquitous and slippery. And we don't often know what the divide is. So it becomes a lot harder to be critical of something when you're normalized to it. And so we need to create frictions and create, talk about the problems that it creates in a very open way. And I do think that youth workers are very critical in providing critical digital literacy as well. Thank you all for a very interesting conversation. Uh, I hope that with this podcast, we managed to encourage our listeners to explore the issues of digitalization and techlash in relation to, to young people and youth work. In the notes to this podcast, you will find some links to different resources that were recommended by our guests. This is all for today. Thank you. And the next podcast is coming soon.